When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, welcome back to the Cowboy Stories and welcome to part one of my interview with Greg Snow. Greg grew up in Twin Falls, Idaho, and he got the cowboy itch from a young age and never looked back. I have really been looking forward to visiting with him and he's just a really humble guy and I am grateful for the things that he shared with us. I hope you enjoy his story. appreciate you taking time out of your day to do this. Oh, no problem. Um, do you just want to start off by telling us a little bit about your childhood, maybe a little bit about your family's background and how you got into this kind of lifestyle? You bet. Yeah, I uh, I grew up in Twin Falls, Idaho. Uh, born there and graduated high school there. Uh, my family wasn't involved in agriculture in any way uh i grew up mainly in sports baseball basketball football that was kind of my passion and uh then uh oh i must have been about eighth grade or so my mom's best friend her husband had a small ranch south of twin falls and he also worked at the stockyards on saturday they had a big sale there every saturday and uh he asked me if i wanted a job and I said, heck yeah. And at that day and time, there there wasn't any child labor laws. They'd, they'd work you as many hours as you wanted to for buck fifty an hour. So. <laughs> so anyway, I started working down there, and that kind of got me interested in the, 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 the cow thing a little bit. You know, I still didn't know anything. And uh, then I went to work for him about the time I was in high school. And it was mainly farming, but he had a set of cows and he ran them south of Twin Falls down on the Nevada Idaho line and anyway I went to work for him and and dang sure like the cow worked a lot better than the farming end of it but I didn't know at that time there was any you know cowboy outfits around I thought they were all just kind of farmer rancher type deals and dang sure was around where I grew up and anyway uh I got in high school uh in the early 80s, it was about the time Kurt Marcus started, uh, was working at Western Horseman and putting out the cowboy calendar and his articles in there. And I got to looking at that and I was like, well, there's danger cowboy outfits, but I'm going to have to go to Tuscarora or Paisley, Oregon, Battle Mountain or Schligman, Arizona. You know, it seemed like we're all the, you know, the cow, cow outfits were at. So anyway, when I, when I was a senior in high school, uh, I turned down 
some offers, some scholarships for football and basketball. And a friend of mine were actually training to go in the Army Rangers, and he, he ended up doing it. And the cowboy bug just got too strong for me, and I decided that's what I wanted to do. So I bought a cheap used saddle and a rope and a snaffle bit and left Twin Falls. And first place I went was the San Jacinto Ranch in south of Jackpot, and it's a large grazing association. Anyway, that's where I kind of started cowboying right there. So. Okay. How did you find out about that job or get um, tied up with them? Well, a, a friend of mine, uh, Bill Birch, he'd spent a lot of time, he, he's a little bit older than I am, and he'd spent a lot of time buckarooing in Nevada, and he came up to Twin Falls. I believe he was going to take some college classes and stuff maybe so he could get into, you know, more of a management type position. And he was the night man at the stockyard there. And I met him and, and he kind of started telling me about all the big ranches in Nevada and Oregon. And, and it really got my interest going. And in that spring we decided to go to work and we went down to the wine cup and the gamble ranch and they they had one one position, and like I say, I was green. I'd never cowboyed before, and we were kind of wanting to go together. And and on the way home, we stopped at the Salmon River, and and they had a spot for both of us. So we took the took the job there, and he was probably my first mentor, um, or well, not probably he was. You know, he he was really good cowboy, and and had been sure been around, and it was like crash course one-on-one buckarooing, you know, and, and just him and I, you know, so pretty much like having your own teacher there with you. And, and he dang sure showed me how to, you know, get around ranch horses. I'd been around some gentle horses, you know, for the guy who worked for him twin, but not, you know, not around ranch horses and stuff. And dang sure showed me how to help me learn how to shoe and, and how to saddle a horse and dally a rope and just, you know, how to work a road deer and stuff. It was, it was really a, it was really a good summer. And, uh, you know, he, he taught me a lot and that was, that was probably my first mentor right there. And what was his name again? Bill Birch. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He was, he, he was, he was really good, you know, for me. And it was, we had a lot of fun that summer, you know, he, I'd watched him shoe a horse maybe once or twice. <laughs> I didn't know how to shoe a horse, but I just watched him. And the first day we got there, he went and did something else. And so they gave me two horses to shoe. It took me from six in the morning till six at night to get them shot. <laughs> uh, they, they were super good horses to shoe, but I think I put three nails through my hands and fingers. It was, oh. You know, trying to hold them too long. I just didn't know what I was doing. And, and yeah. uh, helped me a lot with, rope and that it, it was a grazing association so most of the cows that came down the calves were already branded up in Idaho and they'd just bring them down and we'd drift them around for the summer but that year uh Taylor Lawrence he was a big operator out of Wyoming he'd leased the Rafter Diamond and Deeth and then plus had a pile of other yearlings so he brought a bunch of yearlings there they had a bunch of crested wheat fields and he turned out, you know, it's been a long time ago, but I'm, I'm going to say around 3,500, 4,000 yearlings on that deal. Wow. And 
they stuck Bill and I to riding through these yearlings, and and I've spent a pile of time on a roping dummy. Uh, I mean, I, I could rope that summer gun really good, but I'd never roped live cattle and dallied on a slick horn. But so I had a couple of pretty good horses, and we'd go out there to doctor, and they'd tell me, "Say, hey, Greg, why don't you neck that one?" Of course, I'd bail to them. That horse would put you right on their hip. I mean, you, you couldn't hardly miss. But then I'd move my left hand and look down at the horn and try to dally. And, of course, they'd turn left. And <laughs> put a rope through my hand pretty quick. And I know they got a kick out of it. My hand looked like a pack of hamburger. By That's how you learn, I guess. So Yeah, baptism by fire. Baptism by fire, for sure. You got to find out pretty quick whether you want to do it or not. So, yeah, <laughs> I knew if a guy just stuck with it, the shoeing and the roping and dallying would all come come easier, you know, eventually. So, did but, you ever have any doubts through that whole learning process of whether or not it was something you wanted to do, or did you just get the itch and stuck with it? No, I had no doubts. It. I was thinking about this when I knew you were going to call. It's hard to explain. You know, a lot of people are raised on a ranch or in the cowboy industry, and it's I don't know if they, you know, take it for granted or they just grow up doing it. You know, I know my daughter did, and, you know, things come pretty good to those kids. But, you know, raised in a city like I was, you know, and you get to be 17, 18 years old, and you're trying to figure out what you want to do with your life. And mine was either going to be sports or the military or a cowboy, and I chose cowboy, and, and and just absolutely, you know, just loved it. You know, for a while you can't believe they even pay you to do it, and now you're wondering why they don't pay you more. But <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, I just, I was so infatuated with it that I, I really wanted to learn. And after that summer, you know, got a little experience under my belt, and uh, then I moved down to Battle Mountain and went to work at the TS Ranch. And that was that was the first. The Salmon River ran a lot of cattle, but you know they'd leave in the fall, and you know they you know they had twenty twenty five thirty horses or so. And then I went down to the TS, you know, and they probably had ninety head of horses in the cavy, and lined them up on the ropes and roped them out, and, and you know, it was a full time buckaroo job. And man, I thought I'd landed in heaven right there. So and. uh how old were you when you ended up there? Probably 20, right in that area, 20, 21, right? You know, I was pretty young yet. I did I did a little bit of some feedlot stuff right out of high school before I went to the Salmon River for a year or two, feedlot and some farming, you know, before I had enough money to buy some gear and, and a car to drive in. So... <laughs> <laughs> You know, uh, but yeah, but yeah, the TS, you know, when I, I first got there, you know, I, I, I knew it was a famous ranch and it was a big deal. And of course I was, I was so nervous driving in there and, and wanting to go to work. And the first people I met was Dave and Charlotte Thompson and they'd been working there and Charlotte was cooking and, and they, they, they treated me so well and, and just like family and still are. And, uh, that, that that helped a bunch, but I, w- I would say when I went there, that was when, you know, things really got to rocking, you know, you you want to be a cowboy, you got to work on a big outfit, you know, that's, you know, they turn boys loose with horses, cows, and ropes, so, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I learned, 
really learn your skills or not anyway. So, um, yeah. I worked there for two, I think it was a couple of years. There was a couple of different cow bosses that were there. That's when I first met your dad and when he came down. And then they got, they got rid of the cow boss and gave it to me. I think I just outlasted everybody was the only reason, but it was a great opportunity for me. And I, you know, seen a lot of things go wrong, a lot of things go right, and was really trying to figure out how to, you know, be a better cowboy and a cowman. And and anyway, I, I that was my first cow boss job, and I think it was the last time the PS pulled a wagon out. We we pulled a wagon out at that time, and I've looked back at it now, and I sure did some dumb things, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you but. You know, to progress, you hope you can see things that didn't didn't work right. You know, I probably didn't deserve the job, but I, you know, you worked hard and and hopefully you learn from your mistakes a little bit, and that can help you later in life. And I know a funny one. You know, I went there and the roping wasn't. You know, I got along with the roping all right and the horses and stuff. And I remember we went. That was the first time I'd went on a wagon. And and when I was at San Jacinto, I, I, I bought a bedroll, but we stayed in a bunkhouse all the time. And uh, anyway, I go down there, and we're getting ready to go on the wagon, and these guys' bedrolls way bigger than mine. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out the hell. We was out there in camp, you know, and we was just standing at a wall tent. Well, those guys, I didn't know you could put a foam mattress or, you know, extra blankets in the sun of a gun. So I about <laughs> first week or so till I got back into town, so... But, oh. Yeah, it's, I thought you were cold. Yeah, well, when you're young, you're, you know, things like that don't bother you. Yeah. But, <laughs> but no, that was that was, and then probably, I know you talked a little bit about mentors, you know, and I I told you about Bill, but when I was around the TS, I probably met two or three of the best mentors I've ever had, and. There was a neighboring ranch, the mules grew out of Battle Mountain. Jerry Chapin was running that. He'd, he'd ran it for a lot of years. And Jerry and his brother, Charlie Chapin, the, Charlie helped him a lot. And they were real, real famous and good cowboys around the northern Nevada area. Ours, cowboys, cowmen, horsemen for dang sure. And I used to spend a lot of time, I'd drive down there and just pick their brains on, um, you know, what I was planning to do and how they did things. And, and, you know, they'd worked on the old 25 for marbles and Moffat wagon. And they, they helped me more, more than, more than anybody, you know, just talking to them and talking through situations with them. And matter of fact, Charlie Chapin, he, he was the first guy that told me, he said, Greg, you said, uh, you want to be a good cowboy? You want to be a good horseman, and you want to be a good cowman, and those three were all that, you know. And and it took me a while to figure out what he meant. But through the years, you know, I've met guys that are good cowboys, but you know, they're not good cowmen, or guys that are good horsemen, and they're not good cowboys, you know. And and Jerry and Charlie, you know, they they were all three of them, and that's what I've always, you know, tried to be. And uh, they were. They were so helpful to me. I just kind of wanted to throw a shout out to them. They were they were wonderful. 
And there was another man. He was retired in Battle Mountain at that time. His name was Irvin Thompson. Irvin? Irvin, Irvin Thompson. And they put him in the Buckaroo Hall of Fame this year, thank goodness. And I was going to do it earlier, but I was too lazy. <laughs> <laughs> he ran the White House for Ellison's for, I believe, 28 years. I might be off a little bit, but he worked for Ellison's a long time, before the Korean War and completely after the Korean Wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And he was just doing some day work out there. He was a super good welder and fabricator, mechanic, you know, and, and along with being a great cowboy and cowman. But he was in his 60s then, and he'd come out, and I'd sit for hours with him, and he'd ask me what I was going to do the next day. And I'd tell him, you know, whether we were moving pears or road deering or, you know, whatever he was doing. And, and he he would just tell me so many stories about when he worked for Ellison's and Valley in the White House and the way he did things and, and the way he saw Paul Sweeney do things and and he was a great mentor to me also and those, those three men right there were what really got me rolling a little bit so and you met all three of them while you were at the TS too yes yeah that's when I met them and then anytime I lived around Battle Mountain off and on quite a while and I'd go I'd go visit with him and Charlie's passed away now so is Irvin but Jer- Jerry's still there and and uh but yeah they were they were fantastic people for me to you know to, to be around yeah. and kind of embodied the you know the the whole cowboy thing and horseman deal but they were also great cowmen too you know and I knew at that time I'd uh met my wife and uh, we're going to get married. And I knew if I was going to stay in the in the cowboy world, I was going to need to to try to get on the, you know, at least a cow boss or a manager's type deal to, you know, financially be able to, you know, have a family and stuff. And 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 those guys helped me with the cow handling and the cowmanship, uh, how, how to run men. You know, they're, they're, that's a big part of it, just how to how to work people. You know, and and that's what you're doing most of the time. You know, so they were yeah. they were really good. And then we the ranch they, they they hired a different manager, and he he let me go, hired me, and first time ever I'd been tired of about really. Oh God, yeah, it, it devastated me. But he he'd had a a cow boss already that he was going to bring with him, and. and uh, and I kind of understand that now. At that time, I didn't. So anyway, my wife and I, we struck out then. And, and that was the first time I went to work at the YP Ranch. And uh, and it was it was fantastic. Work, went to work up there for uh, Nathan Kelly. And what a great cowboy and, and a great friend of mine. His daughter and my daughter are really good friends now. And, uh, man, we had a great a great crew it was it was so much fun and uh mike mike thomas another good friend of mine he was working there and and uh norbert gibson and woody harney and frank dominguez and tj thompson and myself and there were you know other odds and then guys we uh it was it was a lot of fun really good place to work and and you know what that, that was that's when you find out how good your wife is because 
he grew up in Battle Mountain, but they were they were turquoise miners, so she hadn't been around the cowboy thing very much, and well at all. And then she met me, and first thing I do is drag her to Tuscarora. So she's ninety miles from town, mm. and we were we were on the wagon, and I, I was actually going to leave. I, I was going to go back home. I was in love. I was going to go back to Battle Mountain and figure out you know cowboy job down there and. Anyway, a guy quit, and he had a house there. So my friend, Frank Dominguez, said, hey, why don't you go ask Nate if you can have that house? So I did. And Nate says, yeah, you can have that house. It's no problem. So I just took two days off, and I ran to Battle Mountain, loaded her stuff up, went back, and the house was in disarray. I mean, it was the guy left it horrid. Oh. I got to be on the wagon the next morning. We were going to catch horse, you know, eat breakfast at four. So I talked to the man, John Jackson, and they had a little apartment there. So I just stuffed her there, and then I was gone the next morning and didn't see her for, God, I don't know if it was a week or a couple of weeks anyway. And anyway, she got into the house and moved in, and, you know, everything's that, – that's a pretty good test on a wife right there. So Yeah. yeah. How does she feel about it now? How does she feel about that lifestyle? Does she love it like you do? Oh yeah, yeah. She loves it. She loves living remote, and and uh, she never got into the cowboy thing or anything. But she loves the you know raising our daughter and, and being a being a ranch wife and and living remote. And no, it, I, I I've got a really I think but any married cowboy that's made it to my age and they still have their wife. She's she's really good. So. <laughs> They've been lived through some, lived through some stuff, for sure. So, but we stayed there the summer, and and oh, about mid fall or so. Uh, um, you know, we we just wasn't making very much. You know, the money wasn't really good. It was a super good job, but the money was not there. And Russell Ranches was running down in Eureka. They had a lot of country and a lot of ranches down there. So I moved Amber to the Battle Mountain. And then uh, we only had one car. So a friend of mine that sold mine products to the mines, he said, well, I've been down there before. So I threw my bedroll and paddling stuff in with him. And we he drove me to Warm Springs, which is was part of the Russell ranches. And he just dumped me off there. And and my wife stayed in Battle Mountain with her mom and was pregnant. And uh, I just bounced around, down around Eureka on the Russell Ranch. There was in, late in the fall, so I worked there at Warm Springs for a few weeks. And then they pulled me over on the Fish Creek side, and I just bounced around between one, two, three, four, five different camps and was just helping them kind of clean up all their fall work. And, and uh, it was... It paid a little better, but it was good. You know, it was it was good. But I remember I was, you know, at that age, you're young and married and cowboy, and you're. I mean, I was broke. I mean, I didn't have hardly any winter clothes, but it was cold. And the funny part was that they had a really good commissary, and when you go to these camps, usually the camp guy would cook for you, but you could bring, you know, groceries, and you know they supplied everything. I remember going in the dry goods deal. I had two dogs. I couldn't afford any dog food. So I go in there, and there were just cases and cases of corned beef hash. 
And so I grabbed a couple of cases of that, and this guy says, God, you like that corned beef hash? I go, oh, God, I love it. And uh, <laughs> that's what my dogs ate for the winter anyway. <laughs> Uh, we uh did that for the winter and then and i came back to battle mountain we went to the 25 ranch and eddie king had just left there and a new mining outfit had bought it and we uh we worked there for almost almost two years when my my daughter was born because she was two years old and the king's river ranch in orvada that it just sold and the Bengoa family had left and I can't remember exactly how I found out who the buyer was, the owner. And anyway we we uh got hooked up with him and that that was my first management job. I went to the Kings River Ranch and and uh we spent eleven eleven and a half years there and it was it was fantastic. We uh great neighbors, John and Renee Aldi and Poncho McKirk, and it was really a good place to raise my daughter. And uh, like I said, we stayed there. We'd, we'd have stayed longer, but they only had a kindergarten to eighth grade school, and, and I had to get her somewhere to go to high school. And we ended up going to the Oregon Canyon Ranch out of McDermott, and she, she went to school a couple of years in McDermott. And, and uh, anyways, it, it was. That was probably where I met. I want to mention his name too. Is is my other mentor? And it was Marvin Casey from Field Denial, Oregon, Denial, Oregon, Fields, Oregon, right in there. It's right on the border, and he he almost neighbored us. It was it was close, but Marvin, he was uh, at that time. I was I was really getting more into the not just the cowboy, but you know, you, you get a ranch management job, so you've got you know, meadows and cows take care of and fencing. I mean, the whole nine yards, water projects. And I met Marvin. He he was an unbelievable good cowboy, but he was a great cowman. And he he was probably the last really good mentor I ever had. And I owe him a lot of credit. He uh, was a fantastic cowman. He, he had a set of Brayford cows there. They're bar none of the best cows I've ever been around. And uh right. You know, I'd been around so many Angus cows, I didn't know that there was actually cows that took their calf with them everywhere they went. So, <laughs> a little dig out to the Angus people. So, anyway, I might get on a rant once in a while, and you can stop me, Lindsay. So. <laughs> no, you're good. But, no, I had great cows, and he and, and kind of showed me that you could be a really good cowboy, and good horseman and a good rancher and a good cowman all combined and and uh at that time that age of my life too i mean i I really absorbed a lot what he was what he was telling me you know and i'd never been around winter country before you know where cows winter out and and he had a he had some winter permits and and another winter permit out of denial that we went to and and he really showed me a lot about you know what winter permits are and and uh how to use them and uh, how to, how to handle cattle, and uh, it was it was it was a it was a great friend. He's a great friend of mine, so helped me a lot. That guy. That's cool that you're able to have so many good mentors. Oh man! All the different places you went. Yeah, yeah. It, it, 
you, you have to do that. You know, I, I read, I was reading an old Vaccaro book. This has been a long time ago. There used to be an old saying, like in California, those Vaccaro deals that said a new cowboy or Vaccaro, whatever, came to one of those ranches in California. And maybe he was a good bucking horse rider, a good roper, good brainsman, you know, whatever his talent was, maybe it was everything. The old guys, the first thing they had to ask him is, who taught you? Because it was their belief it'd take four lifetimes to learn it all by trial and error, you know. And mm. I always remember that, you know, whether it's good or bad, you know, everything you can watch and learn from will, you know, it's going to help you somewhere down the road. So if, if you keep pursuing, you know, whatever the career is, whether it's cowboy, you know, anything. So Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, go, no, go ahead. Um, I was just going to say, I something that I've learned through doing this podcast is that there are a lot of different people out there listening to it that aren't involved in agriculture but are curious about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was wondering if you could just talk a little bit about the differences between, you've mentioned, like being a cow boss or being a rancher, or could you just touch on on the different responsibilities of of that, of those different aspects? Sure. You know, when you're young and, well, not even necessarily young. I, I've had some great friends that, you know, been 60 years old, and all they ever wanted to do is just, you know, be a cow, cowboy, whether it's a buckaroo or a cow puncher, you know, whatever region you, you come from, and that's what they want to be, a professional cowboy, you know, and uh, and that's great. And pretty much, you know, when you're, you know, you know, on a buckaroo deal or, your cow puncher deal when you're a professional cowboy i mean you pretty much just have to take care of the string of horses they give you have them saddled on time when the cow boss or the wagon boss is ready to leave and i mean that that's your job take care of the cows and your horses period and uh you move into a cow boss position you're going to take on a lot more responsibility um all the cow work and learning to get it done in a, you know, a smooth, efficient manner, in a timely manner. You're going to have to learn how to work men. You know, some guys are really good cowboys, but they can't work people. And and that's a big part of it, you know, especially on a big ranch. You might have anywhere from six to, well, there was times at the YP I had 12, 14 cowboys. And you have to be a people person also um, to make things come together right. And... I know when I was cow bossing at the YP and at the TS, I started paying attention a little bit more to whether the meadows were getting irrigated, the fence was getting taken care of, because, you know, that that makes my job more difficult if it's not. You know, it's all part of, all part of running the whole ranch. And obviously then you move into a management position and, you know, then you're going to be involved in everything. And, you know, you're going to have to be pretty well. You know, a friend once told me, he said, never be afraid of knowledge, you know. And, I mean, you know, and when you when you move into a management deal, you're going to have to learn a little more about equipment and paying if you live in the north country and, and water lines, water projects, uh, fencing. Um, then you're dealing with another, a whole other crew, of not just your cowboys, but then you've got all your ranch hands, too. And that's. That, that that's all part of it, you know. It just depends on how far you want to go, you know, in your career. Uh, I had a great friend of mine, uh, 
Dick Craven, he passed away now, but he 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 just wanted to be a cowboy. You know, he didn't have any interest in you know wanting to have the responsibility of running a place and, and the upkeep of them and stuff like that. And 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 I've got other friends that are that way, and that's that's fine. You know, I uh, I have no problem with that. It it just to me, it, you know, a lot of guys will cowboy for a long time and get where they can get around a horse and shoe them and rope. They've learned their cowboy skills, and then they get a little burned out on it. And what helped me a lot was when I got to that point is trying to move past that, you know, get into the <clears throat> working the men and and trying to put a circle together or a drive if you're in the southwest and making that work right and, and marketing the cattle. And, uh, you know, to me, that kept my interest in it a lot. And, but, yeah, there's things for different, di- different levels of it. And when you go to a place like, you know, usually your first kind of management place, if you go, is going to be, you know, like when I went to Kings River, they were about a 1,400, 1,500 head deal, as was Oregon Canyon. And when you're, even though there's a lot of cowboy in there, if you're going to run those places, you're going to have know a little bit about windmills and solar projects and water tanks and you know feeding cattle you might keep your cowboys cowboying but you're you're dang sure responsible for the other stuff also and my boy's been interested in in that end of the ranching also so does that help you out any Lindsay? or yeah yeah no that was that was perfect thank you another thing that i just wanted to touch on for a second too and my thoughts are all over the place on it but um, I just, I feel like there are different levels, like you said, to this kind of lifestyle, but there are also different kind of styles that people use too. Like you hear about like, oh, the Arizona guys or the Nevada guys. And I guess I'm just wondering if you could touch on the different, the different styles, whether you have a long rope and a slit corn or whether you're tying on or whether you're just dallying on a rubber horn, like. Yeah, I uh, I've never had a <clears throat> problem with where <clears throat> where anybody was from. Um, obviously, I wanted to be a buckaroo. You know, that's where my interest was and and whatnot. But I've got a couple of good friends from Arizona. I I wish so much now that I'd have went to Arizona when I was younger before I was married and had responsibilities. And I was able actually last fall I went and spent a month in the OROs and. Uh, it was fantastic, and uh, I know Charlie Gould and Ed Asher and very well. I'd worked with Charlie's nephew Jake Gould when I was actually at King's River when we was first together, you know. And he was so he could go either way, so good, you know. He he could come up here and rope with a long rope and a slick horn, and 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 was a fantastic cowboy. But yeah, he could go to Arizona and and. Uh, Put on his leggings and a little bit shorter rope. And if you wanted to drag a bull off the mountain or tie down a wild cow, you know he could do that also. And 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 I I, I understand the way the different ranches in the country works, you know. And and uh, the guy managing the ORO is now Jed Rourke. That's who I worked for last fall when I was down there. And you know he grew up in. Southern Wyoming uh, with a poly rope and 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 slick horn and and he went to the ROs and was their horseman, fantastic horseman by the way. 
and worked into the management spot, well, you know, he can cowboy with those, the punchers that are down there too, because he adapted to that environment. You know, it's it's just, it's different than in Wyoming or, or Nevada where you can see forever. And, and if you need to get ahead of, ahead of a cow out here, it's easy, you know, down there, it's tough. <laughs> yeah. You, you, you know, you know, and it's just, but when you're a good cowboy or cowman, you, you can figure out how to get to where you need to be and how to make a hand, you know, uh, you know, there's guys up here that are horrid and guys down there that are horrid too, you know, and guys that can work both ways are good. You know, Charlie Gould came up and worked with me at the YP for five years and he'd been a long time in Arizona and grew up down there. And, it, you know, it's kind of a legend in that end of the world. And he came up here and was, you know, a great cowboy, you know, worked very well. You know, we headed and healed and made circles instead of drives and, 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 you know, worked road deers instead of holdups. And then he, when you're a good cowboy, you, you, you figure out how to get there and, you know, where to be, you know, and, uh, I, I have no problems with, I, I respect both ends of the world very much. Um, didn't yeah. get to Texas. I went through Texas last fall also, uh, kind of looking around I, I was hoping you know to work there a little bit and it didn't you know it didn't work out but but no I've always been infatuated with the way they do things in Arizona and I and I completely you know you'd have to be closed-minded not to understand why they do things the way they do you know it works for them and and works well and it's, and it's always intrigued me too a little bit so yeah me yeah. too I like thanks for touching on that a little bit because I yeah, I liked what you said. I I think it's cool how there are different styles. And I really like how they run cows, you know, just on the OROs what I was on, you know. I mean, what a great what a great cow and cowboy outfit, you know. I mean, I went there and there, there was one tractor, and it just moved some horse bells around. No pivots, no irrigation, no feeding. Cows out year-round trailed their, you know, when they wean in the fall on the wagon, and, and we trailed the as after they'd balled out the cut, they call it, and we trailed it back to the headquarters and put them in big native pastures until they shipped them. I mean, it was it was really a, I mean, it was a cowboy's dream, actually. I thought it was it was, and you know, when they raise their own horses down there, those mares, they colts, they run out in the rocks and the brush and mountain lions and whatnot, and those horses just they get around fantastic in that country down there. Plus, they're well-bred, and they're kind of cowboy bill horses. It was it was really neat to see. You know, I uh, I liked it a lot. That's cool. That's the problem, you know, here's a – I'm going to vent a little bit here. Yeah. I think that's a huge problem I see now in the country I'm in, and I know it's happening in a couple of spots in Wyoming, and I know a place or two in Arizona. I know, I know it's everywhere, and I've seen it before. It was, there was a big – surge of um, consultant ranch manager types, you know, in, in the eighties and nineties, they were, it was Cal Poly was the thing. Nowadays it's uh, King Ranch Institute for managers and they are bringing, you know, these ranches are all owned by corporations, very wealthy pe- people, you know, maybe they weren't in the cattle business. They're buying these ranches and they're, a lot of the managers that are running these places are running like a cookie cutter. They learned in college because they don't have any big ranch experience. Mm. And they're running these ranches. And, and to me, it, 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 it hurts them a lot. You know, you, you 
you've got to have experience. So we're talking big ranches. I'm not saying smaller ranches. A lot of this stuff wouldn't work, and, and these guys are, you know, very intelligent. And I'm all pro-education. I think it's good. But a spreadsheet's not going to keep cows from dying in the winter. And uh, these big big degrees, and then you go turn someone loose with 7,000 head of cows on half a million to a million acres, and getting that work done, they can't teach you that in school. And I, I know there's been problems with it throughout the 70s, probably since big ranches were around, but there's a big surge of it now. And, and, you know, people that have spent their lifetime trying to learn the business and the trade and how to run cowboys and how to run ranches. And, you know, they're not getting a fair shake at these good jobs because they don't have, they have experience, but no education. And I think that alludes to what you're saying is you go to Arizona, you go to Northern Nevada, Texas, Wyoming, wherever you're going, every every ranch is different. Yeah. And they have to be ran different. It takes people that have experience in that area to you know, there's ranches here that don't run the same that are that border each other, you know, because of BLM permits or when you can turn out. The the calving, nothing's set in concrete, you know, and I just I think they've got away from so much experience because they, they want people to can you know, are very computer savvy and uh can talk well and and whatnot and to run these ranches and it's I think it's hurting them a lot myself and I've talked to other people about it you know I read a book called the Dakota Cowboy is a really good book and it was when they first opened up the reservations in South Dakota and the bottom part of North Dakota for grazing and a lot of the big Texas outfits brought cattle up there I mean hundreds of thousands of them. Wow. I, I believe this cow boss, he was a manager in Texas, and I believe I believe it was for the Matadors or the XITs, but I think Matadors. Anyway, the owner of the Matadors asked him to go up to South Dakota and, and run this deal. He said he said, Hey, I I can run cows. He goes, I I I can't manage a thing like that. I don't do office work. He says, I've got people that do office work. I need someone that can run men and cattle and keep a tally book. That's the important part. I've got other people that'll take care of this other end. And and I think that's a lot, you know, what's happening now is we're trying to find people that can super computer savvy and, and very educated and intelligent people, but they don't have the experience on that end, on the on the cow end, and that's and that's what makes the money. And I don't care how much school you go to, you you can't learn to work men and and handle livestock. You can watch all the videos you want, but you have to go do it to to learn how to do it. Yeah, and, that kind of goes back to what you said a little while ago about them asking, "Well, who did you learn from?" Like, right? Yeah. If you don't have any mentors that were in it, yeah, that you could learn from, it'd be kind of hard to just go in there and try. Yeah, I know, like. Wagons I've ran, you know, I mean, you know, you're talking about the differences in people. You know, the Cowboys, all I got to worry about is what time breakfast is the next morning when you're saddling. You know, that's that's what they're doing. That's their job. Me, I might be a week or two weeks ahead of what we're doing tomorrow. You know, you're, you're trying to plan every circle and where you're going to put every man and what type of horse he's riding. I mean, there's a lot that goes into it if you're trying to do a good job. We, you know, when you're branding, I'm just saying branding, for instance, 
when you're outside, Brandon, you know, it's not like Brandon out of a pasture where he just gathered the pasture and in 15 minutes and brand them all and then you're done for the day. You know, you're, you know, you might make a week's worth of gathers out of one, one big pasture or field, you know, up here, field pasture, if you're in Arizona and a good cow boss, wagon boss, he's trying to make every day make sense to him, you know, gather a certain part of the country, you know, whether there's 150 or 200 in that bunch or 15 and then that country's clean and move to the next, next country, you know, make everything, smooth and, and 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 a good job of it you know and knowing how to work your man you know maybe you've got two or three experienced guys and you've got four or five young guys you know how how, how to place your men so your circle or your drive comes together smoothly you know that that's important and they you know they can't teach that kind of stuff and you know and that's that's kind of where i guess i'm at i was kind of born on that cusp where you heard about it you, you want to have a lot of experience and learn from your mentors. And then now you're kind of on that other deal. Well, maybe you should have went to college and got all these degrees first. Mm. And then you have a job. You see where I'm coming from? You know, you're kind of stuck in between. So. Yeah. Yeah. There, there, there's a lot, you know, you look at anybody that has a good reputation as a cow boss or a wagon boss, you know, they, they, it was more than just, you know, to ride the tough horse and rope the best. You know, there's a lot more, to that to making a smooth out, you know, an outfit run smoothly. For mm-hmm. sure. You know, I can think of a big ranch. Yeah, I won't name names. I know I know a big ranch close to where I'm at that's just the last five, six, seven years. I mean they just they they've just had hell. And owned by very wealthy deal and just had hell. And I had two good friends that were there all through the eighties and the nineties. I mean neither one of high school education and that thing, you couldn't hardly get a job there. It was ran so smooth and they were so good to work for that. I mean, cowboys were lined up to try to go there. So, you know, there, there, there we are. You look at Babbitt's in in Arizona, you know, it's one of the most famous ranches in the West. And uh, I might be a little wrong on my map, but they ran between 40 and 50 years between Bill Howell and, and Frank that, and, and then they'd have an eighth, eighth grade education between them, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of where I'm at now. I don't, I, I, I kind of, anyway, that's kind of a downer. So we can talk about something better if you want. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, that concludes part one of my interview with Greg Snow. Stay tuned for part two coming out soon. Also, if you like what you're listening to, please leave us a rating and a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. And to put a face behind the name, head over to our Instagram page at Cowboy Stories underscore podcast.